Welcome to uh, Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I am Joe Works in Elmira, New York, and joining me as usual, Chase Byers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. See, I said you first, Chase, today. Uh, and uh, Jeff Smelser in Extonville, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I just love to be first among us. So I appreciate you bringing me up that way. It's been a good day so far. Got all my bills paid and uh, everything squared away. So it's been a good day. Great, great. Always have, good to have your bills paid, whether you know what they are or not. Exactly. Uh, great. Good. How are you, Jeff? Fine. Good afternoon. We usually throw in some sort of... Uh, some, little, uh, some little Easter egg, some little yeah. something, that, some little reference, some little inside joke that everybody out there doesn't know what it's about. Yes, yes. So, okay. So, short, short version, short version. Got a bill from the township, wasn't clear what it was, called the township, laid at the township, couldn't explain it, but didn't really seem to think that I should be able to understand it. Her explanation was look, you just have to pay it. If you get a bill from the electric company, you don't understand what it's all for, you just pay it. So, that's the same here. That was, that's what the reference is to. <laughs> So, you know, that seems like a great introduction to a sermon, even. Um, I'm not sure what the know, sermon would be about. Well, I, I would think along the lines of, you know, knowing what's being taught, uh, knowing what's being presented. We don't just be gullible and, and swallow what's being presented yeah. to us without, uh, without asking for explanation and clarification. Now in Acts chapter, this is the famous passage in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, how the Jews in Berea were regarded as more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures with all readiness of mind, searching and trying to determine whether the things Paul was saying were true. And I didn't quote that, I paraphrased it. That's pretty close. Huh? It sounded good to me, um, uh, but maybe I should verify based on what we're talking about. You right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so uh, we do want people that are following along in our study to verify. And so if you'd like to grab a Bible and follow along with us, how do you like that segue, guys? Um, uh, we will uh, be studying in the book of Genesis, uh, continuing and actually finishing our study of the story of Joseph this afternoon. Uh, we just have uh, the last few chapters uh, I believe 46 through 50, but we may uh, backtrack a little bit in our discussions and just kind of hit on things that we see that are significant in the life of Joseph, such a prominent person for the nation of Israel, such a, a great figurehead of faith for those that are going to be entering the promised land sometime later. Um, uh, and we have his, his story uh, uh, ends the book of Genesis, and then we, we turn our attention to the exodus from, from Egypt, so we ought to recognize that connection there. <coughs> Excuse me. So we have talked about how thus far uh, Joseph has gone from being his dad's favorite and hated by his brothers to being sold by his brothers, nearly killed, and then sold by his brothers because they'd rather make a profit than have blood on their hands. They lied to their father about it. Joseph, in the meanwhile, is taken into Egypt, uh, placed into Potiphar's household, uh, does a great job in service to, to him until Potiphar's wife uh, acute, falsely accuses him. He's thrown into prison. 
He's there for a period of time until he meets a butler and baker of the king, interprets their dreams. The butler is restored. The baker is killed. And uh, again, a few more years pass by, and Pharaoh has a dream about a famine that is coming. After seven years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of famine. But he doesn't understand the visions in the dream that foretell that. So the butler then remembers Joseph. Joseph is brought out of prison and uh, presented to the king. Joseph interprets those dreams and is placed in command of the kingdom. He's, he's second in line, but really he's handling everything. And uh, again, just such a great twist in the story. Joseph's brothers need to come to Egypt to get food. They find themselves bowing before Joseph, uh, just as the dreams of Genesis 37 had foretold. Um, eventually, Joseph is able to discover that they are changed men. Uh, they are not just uh, giving up on their brothers, even uh, Benjamin, when uh, they see favoritism extended toward him. Um, and Joseph then reveals himself to his brothers of who he is. Uh, and that's about where we're ready to pick up here. Any, what did I leave out that's significant, guys? Okay, yeah, we're good. All right. So uh, pick up here in Genesis chapter 46. Um, <clears throat> let me back up a little bit, 45. Uh, word is brought to Jacob that Joseph is alive. And again, another twist. When Joseph was... When Jacob was told that Joseph was dead, he believed that lie. When Jacob is told that Joseph is alive, is alive, he doesn't believe the truth. Um, uh, and so much time has passed; that certainly is, is somewhat understandable. Um, uh, but Joseph is, in a sense, resurrected in in Jacob's mind, and uh, Jacob then it begins his travel to uh, uh, to, to Egypt. And uh, pick up here in chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, came to Beersheba, offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. He said, here I am. He said, I am the God. Uh, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I'll make of you a great nation. And so we have the story of Joseph sort of in the backdrop of that. You have the promises of Abraham appearing as well. Uh, God had promised Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 that from his seed there would come a great nation. And now we know that that nation is going to follow Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that it's actually going to be fulfilled while they're in Egypt. Um, uh, that seems like an, uh, a, an important fact to, to note here that, that the nation, that they are going to become this great nation uh, populous uh, while in Egypt. And so you have the list of those who travel with him, all of the families that go down, uh, verse 26, all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt who came from his body beside Jacob's son's wives were 66 persons in all. Um, and so then you have add that to Joseph's family and uh, you have total at number 70 in verse 27. So Jacob travels down. And he ends up in the land of Goshen in Egypt. Um, what's significant about the fact that the Israelites end up in Goshen? Um, what, what would be the uh, 
the importance of that, guys. Do you have a thought about that? Why is that included in the text and told for us there? Well, it was it was land. I don't I don't know what you're thinking, but it was land that Joseph had wanted them to be in because he thought it would both be good for them for their for their flocks for their livestock, and it would be it would somewhat separate them from the Egyptians. As a matter of fact, Joseph was very clear um, in saying, "Look, when when you come down and you talk with the Egyptians, you be sure and tell them you're shepherds." Verse thirty four. Yeah. You shall say, "Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth exactly. even until now." Uh, and and goes, J Joseph gives the explanation. He says, you tell them that so that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. The Egyptians look down upon shepherds, and Joseph knew if you play up the fact that you're shepherds, they will happily put you up in Goshen uh, to separate you from, from them a bit. Yeah, so the uh, verse uh, 34 of chapter 46 uh Again, it's interesting to think about that the Egyptians hated sheep, hated shepherds. They were an abomination to them. So that's going to allow this separation um, uh, to keep the Israelites separate from the Egyptians. That's going to help them to maintain uh, their, their service to, to Yahweh uh, and, and keep them distinct from the, uh, the Egyptians. Chase? I also think it's interesting what's what to me I'm thinking about as they come to Egypt in a famine and they are trying to get all the cards on the table. They are trying to be as honest as they can be. And they're trying to be clear as to what their intentions are in verse four. We have come to sojourn in the land because there's no pasture from where we're coming from. It just reminds me of Genesis 12, whenever Abraham goes into Egypt and he is not clear about his intentions and lies. And here in chapter 47, the same family goes into Egypt for the same reasons, but they are now clear and straightforward with what their intentions are. I think that's really kind of noteworthy there. Yeah, and, and we're going to see the importance of all of that when we get to the book of Exodus, um, because of uh, them being in a separate land, some of the plagues aren't going to affect them because they're not intermingled with the Egyptians, um, uh, and so... Uh, there, there's, there's going to be long-term benefits to, to this. But it seems as if Joseph knows that, that they need to be separate and apart um, uh, from, the, from the Egyptians. Uh, just such a great phrase to use every chance you get. <laughs> um, uh, but it almost makes me wonder if there's not some sort of, uh, uh, of, a, uh, of an Easter egg here um, uh, with the idea that the the Egyptians hated shepherds. You know, sheep and shepherds are such a prominent storyline all throughout scripture, yeah. and the Egyptians don't like them. Um, uh, and uh, so it's it just kind of maybe a, uh, uh, I don't know what the right word would be, uh, but a, a, an image of, of where the Egyptians are in their relationship with the, with the Lord. Even. Now, it's kind of interesting. I don't want to get a, too far ahead, but down in verse 17, uh, the people of Egypt, I think it's talking about the people of Egypt, are going to bring Joseph, among other things, among their livestock and their horses, their flocks and the herds. Um, so, so some of the Egyptians appeared to have, in fact, Pharaoh even had flocks that somebody took care of down in verse six, put them in charge of my livestock. Uh, no, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, where was it? What I'm looking for. Well, I don't see it right now. 
but it, it, it doesn't seem that it doesn't seem that sheep and goats were something that did not exist in Egypt, but it was not something that was looked upon as a noble uh, line of work working with. Yeah, them. a good 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 point there. That's helpful to see that in verse seventeen of chapter forty-seven as well. Great. Um, so Pharaoh is presented, uh, Jake, uh, Jacob's presented before Pharaoh. They have a conversation. Uh, yeah. Jacob is, is welcomed into uh, the people. Uh, Chase, you got a thought you want to jump in on? Yeah, as we're talking about this conversation, I don't want to overlook verse 11. Uh, so Joseph, um, or sorry, verse 9, excuse me. So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. Just this open acknowledgement that his years have not been great. Few uh, is the first thing that he says. With On the surface, you're like, you've lived 130 years. What do you mean they've been few? But Isaac lived 180 years. Abraham lived 175 years. And so few in comparison to what they've lived, they have been few. But unpleasant is to say the least about Jacob's life. Um, and it wasn't until I actually got to teach through Genesis that when he said this, I was like, really, the, the unpleasant things stack up against him. His brother Esau wanted to kill him, and he was on the run for the longest time. His father-in-law deceives him and essentially holds him hostage for up to 20 years, and his sons massacre an entire people. And then Reuben sleeps with one of his, uh, one of his wives' maidservants and one of the mothers of his children. And then he thinks one of his sons is dead. So it, it really stacks up against Jacob on how pleasant his years were. And just to think about the relief that would have come whenever he sees his son, Joseph, and sees this rest that is there for him. And that really, I think, is supposed to make us think about the rest we have coming through our unpleasant years. Um, so anyways, I just, that, that verse has always stood out to me in verse nine. That concept of sojourning, the way he refers to his life on earth is sojourning. You know, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it makes it very clear. Abraham looked at his life that way. And Peter talks about us as pilgrims and sojourners and to view our life on earth that way. Yeah. Uh, and so if we think about Jacob, name change to Israel and, uh, being a foreshadowing or, or him being a foreshadowing of God's people, then uh, I think there's a lot that we can learn as God's people from him. Um, maybe even thinking about verse 12 as well, uh, Joseph providing uh, the whole household with bread. Um, again, another foreshadowing, perhaps uh, I'm not going to push it too hard, but seeing the, the, the Lord there providing us with the bread of life, even um, Joseph sustains them physically uh, the way that our Lord does spiritually. So the, the years of, of uh, uh, famine continue and uh, the, the land is bought up by, by Joseph. Uh, eventually, Pharaoh owns everything because of, of Joseph's uh, wisdom and actions. And uh, the, the whole kingdom, if you will, is, is turned over to uh, in, into Joseph's hand, all of the land, uh, everything, interestingly enough, but verse 22, everything but the priest, only the land of the priest, he did not buy. Uh, the, the priest had the land allotted to them. You know, um, we, we, we've talked a little bit about, there's a lot of aspects to the story of Joseph. 
But one, one thing is, and we've alluded to this numerous times, how his life foreshadows uh, so many things in Jesus' life. All of this sets up his buying the land when, when he's giving out the grain and they, they buy the grain, they run out of money, they have to bring their livestock to trade for grain, they run out of livestock, they mortgage their lands themselves, they sell themselves. That allows Joseph to make this statement, behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here's seed for you and you may sow the land. But, you know, isolated, it would seem like no big deal. Joseph says, I bought you. And of course, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter in verse 20, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. We've been bought by the blood of Christ. And, and on, you know, if that were just an isolated comparison, you'd say, well, okay, sure. You can see a similarity there, but, but that doesn't mean it was intentional. But when it's a part of this whole tapestry of parallels between Joseph and Jesus, I think it's significant. Yeah, no doubt. That's great. That, that's, I had not seen that, that connection, but it's, it's easy to add that then to chapter 47 and verse 25 and the people's response in verse 25. Uh, they said, you have saved our lives. Right. Let us find favor in the sight of my exactly. Lord. He bought them. Um, they've saved them. And, and the thing is, you, you have to step back and ask, if, if it's not intended to be a connection with Jesus, why do we need all of these details in verses 13, chapter 47, verses 13, down really through the end of the chapter? It could have just summed it up very succinctly and say, you know, the people had to trade everything they had to get grain. And there you go. But no, it plays all of it up to build up to that statement. I bought you. And they say, you saved us. It really makes it powerful when I am smart enough to read slower and look for Jesus, look for God in the Old Testament, look look for that storyline, and all of a sudden it appears on practically every page. Some that language, if I can just add to it, verse 14, Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan for the grain which they had bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Verses 19 and 20, you get the same thing. He does it for Pharaoh. And then in verse 26, um, the same exact thing. He, he got these things for Pharaoh. He's being a good stewardship of, of what's really not his. And yet it, it is his. And so you see the same thing with Jesus. Jesus is being a good steward in getting all of these people, all of these things for God. So I, I think there's a, a cool comparison there to be had as well. Yeah, very much so. <coughs> Excuse me. And so now we do fast forward. And I think that to, to Jeff's point, you know, there are a number of details in the events of these men's lives that are left out. After we talk about all of this information that seems purposeful in its wording, then we sort of skip about 17 years of, of time. Verse 28, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years um, and uh, uh, dies at 147, it says in verse 28. Um, and uh, he's, or he's old at this point and uh, ready to, to be buried, but he does not want to be buried in uh, the uh, land of Egypt. He wants to go back to uh, the promised land, the the, the uh the burial area where his family has been. And uh, so those arrangements are going to be made. 
But before he does that, as he sees the end of his life approaching, um, he has some final words that he wants to utter to his uh, his children and grandchildren, right? Um, and so uh, those, again, as much detail as given of them seems pretty significant, right? So Joseph brings in, at Jacob's instructions, his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Um, and uh, I always try to, I don't, I'm not always successful, but I try to remember names of sons or of family members in the order, you know, in chronological order. Um, uh, I think often that helps me to understand the Bible story a little bit better. And so which of these two are the older Manasseh or Ephraim, Ephraim or Manasseh? Manasseh. Manasseh. And so, you know, it's sort of natural then to say Manasseh and Ephraim, and that's the way that they're listed in chapter 48 and in verse 1. But we typically um, say Ephraim and Manasseh. Why? Exactly. And, and, and it's because of the rest of chapter 48, I think, that we say Ephraim yeah. and Manasseh. He brings Manasseh and Ephraim to be uh, blessed by, by Jacob. And Jacob then takes his hands and he puts his right hand on Ephraim, um, verse 13, and his left hand on Manasseh. And as he does that, then Joseph sees that in verse 17 and tries to switch that. He realizes, wait, no, you, you don't have the, the older son, you know, with, with the right hand, you know, the greater blessing there. And he it seems as if he thinks that his father has simply, you know, messed up with that uh, old age or whatever the case might be, uh, and tries to to switch that. Jacob is unwilling to do that, um, uh, and uh, with 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 purpose. Then Ephraim is going to receive the greater blessing. How does that play out? For I don't know that we necessarily see it playing out in the individual lives of Manasseh and Ephraim. But we do see it playing out in the tribes, right? Yeah. Uh, and in what way does that seem significant than what Jacob is doing here? Well, Ephraim becomes the more prominent tribe, so much so that there are times in the divided kingdom period that Ephraim stands for the whole northern kingdom. Uh, Isaiah 7 seems to be a, an example of that. And there are other passages where there's uh, Ephraim and his idols. Uh, it just seems to be. Ephraim stands for what's going on in the Northern Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So you have the, especially when we get to the divided kingdom, you have Israel and Judah in the south, and you have, sometimes they're called Israel, sometimes they're called Ephraim, sometimes they're identified as Samaria, um, uh, where the, the capital is going to be during the time of, of Ahab, uh, Omri and Ahab. Uh, it's going to be switched there. So the, the, the land of Ephraim, they become the the lead tribe, the representative head for the, the nation of Israel. And so a lot of times when you see Ephraim acting in a certain way, it's kind of typifies the way that the, the people are. Chase? I was just going to say, and it also kind of continues the theme through Genesis where the younger is receiving a greater blessing instead of the older. Um, you saw it with Jacob and you saw... You saw it with Isaac and um, Ishmael, and now you're seeing it with these two as well. And then yeah. same with Joseph and his brothers and so forth. Very good. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> you know what? Before you, are you about to move on to the next uh, section there? Yeah, but go ahead. Go ahead just going back to something, just just briefly, there, you, uh, you made note of 
it just kind of with a wave of the hand covers 17 years back in verse 28 of chapter 47. So Genesis 47, verse 28, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. And you were making the point that whereas it, it gave details in seemingly, unless it's for a reason connecting to Christ, why do we need to all, know all the details that it was giving? And you contrasted where it was giving such detailed information with here it's not, which kind of highlights the thought that there must be a reason we're given the details where we are. There's another thought here. I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, when the Bible goes into detail, there's a reason. But there's, there's another thought here. It's actually kind of related. When it tells us that Jacob lived in the land 17 years and that he was 147 when he died, then that gives us his age when he arrived. And that makes his age when he arrived 130. And that's significant. And without going into all the detail, there's this problem, this issue that we run into where um, it one hand, on one hand, it seems like the Bible says that there were, the Israelites were in Egypt uh, for 430 years, and you, would, you might get that impression from Exodus 12, 40, and Genesis 15, 13, and Stephen's sermon in Acts 7. On the other hand, in Galatians 3, Paul counts it as 430 years from the time of the promises to Abraham uh, down to uh, the Exodus. And so that if, if they were in Egypt all that time, then there was no time you know, between Abraham and Egypt, and obviously that's not right. And so it presents a problem for people. The solution actually involves numbers that the Bible gives us, and um, part of it is this fact, this detail right here, that the 17 years that allows us to know that Joseph was 130 years, well, well, actually, he says he was 130 years back earlier when he came down to Egypt, and with that number and some other numbers the Bible gives us, you can actually nail down that they were in the land of Canaan 215 years, and they were in the land of Egypt 215 years, and it was a total of 430 years, and then you just simply have to understand what's going on in the passages where it seems to say otherwise. And I'm not going to take time to go through all that right now. I guess the one point I want to make is when it mentions these numbers, uh, there's actually a reason for that also. Yeah, very much. Yeah, that, that is helpful. Thanks. Chase, you want to add there? Nope. Ah, okay, I thought maybe you, you had some great uh, disagreement with Jeff there, but okay. Um, Never. Yeah, back in 47.9, he'd said 130 years. So, so those two passages together confirms yeah. the same thing. But, but that number goes into the calculation. So, Yeah, that, that, and that is helpful. Uh, I like following those, uh, sort of building a, a, a chronology or a timeline, I guess is the right word. Um, it helps me to, to understand how things are, are working out. Um, we dealt with that a little bit a week or two ago, talking about the life of Joseph and how much time he spent in prison and... and uh, and so forth. It is kind of interesting the 17 years that crops up there. Where had we seen 17 years before? Joseph was 17 years when he was sold by his brothers. So we sort of have the first 17 years of, of this story kind of passes without incident uh, or commentary. And then uh, the last 17 years of Jacob's life passes yeah. without commentary. I'm not sure what to do with that. Um, uh, there's probably something in numerology that somebody will invent for significance for the number 17, but I, I don't it's know what birthday. it is. Uh, there you go. That must be it. That must be it. Figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, that's not it. <laughs> so, uh, um, 
So Ephraim, so they become more known as Ephraim and Manasseh then, and that is, that's the way that I almost always say it um, uh, in contrast to the way I usually try to remember things. Um, and uh, then you have uh, that Jacob is going to be blessing uh, his, his own sons in uh, the following chapter. Uh, before we get to that, I would like to call attention to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. <laughs> talking about this section we just now sort of skimmed over yeah i'm sorry i shouldn't have interrupted you if you're going hebrews 11 that that's ties in with what we just talked about with ephraim and manasseh yeah uh, no no you you didn't interrupt at all uh, yeah I did. that was that was good um so hebrews 11 and in verse 21 by faith jacob when he was dying blessed each of the sons of joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff um you know, you have all of these different actions by faith, and, and some of them are just so overwhelming, right? You know, um, Noah building the ark, and, uh, you know, Enoch not dying, and, uh, you know, just different things that are going on. And then you have this one, and it seems all pretty passive, doesn't it? Um, yes. That, you know, it, it, it doesn't have the, the grandstand that, that some of the other men listed here do, which I think is, is good to note. Um, and then also, as we've read through, and we didn't do it on uh, live here, but as you read through Genesis 48, what verse is it that identifies him leaning on the top of his staff that, that the Hebrew writer talks about there? There's not one in our, in our Bible, right? Right. There's one in the Septuagint. Correct. Yeah, the Septuagint references it, but... Our translations do not, um, uh, and uh, I think the, the, the Hebrew Hang Bible, on. I don't let, believe, does. Let's, let Snopes fact check us over there. No, no I just, I had not caught that. I, didn't, I had not. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, kidding. I, I, this so, is new to me. This is yeah. new to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well, maybe we should do something on, no, I'm not even going to go there. Snopes. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, I uh, don't want to obfuscate the, uh, the the topic here. Obfuscate. Um, <laughs> I can't pronounce that word, so that's sort of a self-deprecation for me to even try to say it. Um, uh, so well, at least it's not listed in the text. Uh, again, it is in the Septuagint, but it's not listed, and that just seems so striking um, uh, that it's not there. Now, I'll present to you what a friend of mine has, has pointed out about this text. Um, and uh, maybe, I guess if I said he's my friend and then I say his name, I don't know if that'll hurt his reputation or not, but uh, Jason Longstreth um, uh, had done a lesson on Hebrews 11 and looking at all of the different examples through Hebrews 11 and seeing how the way that they're written foreshadows Jesus. Um, uh, and so you have things like Abel with the most excellent sacrifice or um, uh, uh, the, um, uh, some of the other ones, um, uh, Joseph referencing the, the departure of the children of Israel um, and uh, Moses um, uh, talking about him um, in verse uh, 29, by faith they passed through the through the Red Sea is by dry land, or I'm sorry, verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And so by faith, he observed the Passover, singular, 
and uh, then um, uh, they won't be destroyed in verse 28. It's kind of interesting the way that some of the wordings are. It does make you look toward Jesus, I think, naturally. So what about yes. this idea of him leaning on the staff? Um, what's a staff made out of? Wood. Wood. And so you have then Jacob leaning on wood, blessing the sons of Joseph. Um, uh, you know, it's not that hard to get a picture of the Christ on the cross, um, uh, being a blessing to uh, the nations there as well. Um, so again, I'm not going to press that point really hard, but I do think that it, it is borne out. And the Hebrew writer, I think, even tells us to do that because he says that when we are surrounded by the cloud of witnesses in chapter 12, verse 1, we ought to be looking to Jesus. Yeah. Um, uh, and so when we see these people, we look to Jesus. And uh, so that, that to me is significant here in chapter 48. I, I think there is a possibility um, that it's almost because it's sandwiched in between Isaac and Joseph in Hebrews, that is both having this forward looking faith. And I wonder if you don't get the same imagery out of Jacob as well in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, as I think about him leaning on the staff and anticipating what he does in chapter 49 by a blessing and saying many of the things that these men are going to go on to do. He has this forward looking faith um, that is so evident. And so by faith, he looks forward. He leans on his staff and worships, knowing that Yahweh is going to deliver. And so th that's one of the other things I've heard here. Um, looking back at my notes, it looks like this would be Genesis 47, 31 in the Septuagint, um, where it reads that he was leaning on his staff. And so um, yeah, it is. That's 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 kind of how I've I've kind of taken it. Um, yeah. But I certainly don't disagree with the imagery of Christ on the on his wood um, right. as well. Yeah, it is in the Septuagint. It is Genesis forty seven thirty one. Israel worshipped upon the top of his staff, his rod, his staff. You know, there's there's a thing here. Hebrews eleven says he did it by faith. And that's helpful. We're familiar with the statement in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ. Um, and, and in so many passages, that's helpful. When somebody's acting by faith, they are acting in accordance with God's instruction. And so when these men are blessing, when Jacob blesses the sons of Joseph, and when Jacob later on blesses his sons, and then you see history bearing out the blessing, when Noah curses uh, Canaan, when uh, the, the two nations in your womb, uh, and so on. How do those things come true? It's because these men, in this case, were told Jacob was blessing them by faith. In other words, he's not just saying something, and coincidentally it came true. He's not saying something, and then God goes, oh, he said this. I guess we've got to make it happen. But he is saying what he's been given by God to say in blessing these sons. Right. Very good. So we turn our attention. Any, anything else on chapter 48 before we move on? Uh, so then uh, thinking about chapter 49, where he begins to bless, and I almost hesitate to use that word. Um, uh, I don't know if there's a more appropriate term there for the 
the comments that he's going to make regarding his children. Not all of them are quite blessings, are they? Um, uh, but prophesies concerning their future, I guess, maybe more accurate. Um, and he begins to, to list through them. Reuben, um, uh, you know, uh, verse three, you're my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, excellence of dignity and the excellency of power. Boy, that's just great. Except he goes on in verse four, you, you're unstable as water. Um, uh, and then uh, he talks about the sin that he had committed in Genesis 35. Um, Jeff, did you have a thought there? No, make your point. I'll come back to it if we have time later on. Okay, already. And then, uh, so Reuben was the firstborn. The next two uh, in age order are Simeon and Levi. He groups them together in uh, verses five through seven. And again, fails to give them a blessing, but instead describes their shortcomings and the, the fact that they were instruments of cruelty um, uh, and uh, had, had certainly gone against the Lord's will, thinking about what they had done in Genesis 34 in regard to their sister Dinah um, uh, and taken out wrath, not just on the guilty person, but upon a, a whole group of men, a whole city of men. Um, and so they're going to be divided and scattered, chapter 49, verse 7 says. And we think about that as far as the nation is concerned. At the time of the dividing up of the land, Simeon's land is included within the land of, uh, of Judah. And uh, also you have then Levi. His land is scattered amongst the Israelites because uh, Levi, as the priest, they get the 48 Levitical cities, and so they don't get a particular land as well. Um, so uh, I think especially with Simeon, they're just sort of swallowed up and forgotten with Judah. Uh, the Levites, uh, it is a sort of a curse slash blessing um, because God is going to use them to be teachers of the people and provide uh, the, the priesthood. Chase? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. And then we turn to, to Judah in uh, verse 8, and he gets the lion's share of uh, the um, uh, of the blessing here. Is that pun intended? Okay. That is all. I, I always intend my puns, um, uh, uh, or try to at least. Uh, and so within Judah, and, and you might think, well, Judah's just as guilty as Reuben and Simeon and Levi. I mean, you know, we talked about uh, Genesis 38, and, uh, you know, he has some uh, rather sordid past as well uh, with Tamar and, and so forth. Um, but he doesn't get that uh, condemnation like Reuben, Simeon, and Levi do. And that helps us to understand we're not talking so much about the individuals as we are prophecy for the future tribes. And so Judah is going to become this lion, uh, verse 9. He's going to have the scepter in verse 10. He's going to be the lawgiver uh, in, in verse 10. Um, uh, and then you have this language in verse 11, which is really interesting, binding his donkey to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes, um, what, what could that be referring to for the tribe of Judah, do you think? Having garments washed in, in wine or, or grapes. 
royalty. Uh, there will come a time that a ruler will come out of Judah to, to rise up and rule all of Israel, um, both in David and Solomon, but also ultimately in the Christ. And the Jesus. cleansing by the blood, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Yeah, it almost seems like there's kind of a dual meaning here. Uh, you know, you kind of have the purple grape uh, royalty hint, but then this language of blood as well. And, you know, when we read that, we think of the, the fruit of the vine um, uh, with the, the blood of Christ who comes from the tribe of Judah. So maybe even a, a double significance there. The king is going to be dipped in blood. His garments are going to be soaked in blood, um, uh, that sort of language there. Um, uh, so uh, we've had then that from Genesis 3 that Satan was going to be defeated. We come to Genesis 12. We see it's going to be through the seed of Abraham. Um, uh, we, we go further to what, chapter 26. We think about it, promised to Isaac, 28 to Jacob. And now we get a little bit narrower from Jacob's 12 sons this uh, uh, individual is going to come through the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Revelation 5, we'll talk about. Um, and so now we, we have it, it just gets uh, more specific as we go through this book of how the blessing uh, of God is going to come upon the, the world. So thoughts there through those first four men? Um, the rest of them, you kind of go pretty quickly. Issachar in verse 14, Dan in verse uh, 16, um, uh, you have uh, then Gad in verse 19, Asher in 20, Naphtali in 21. Uh, Joseph gets a special blessing in verse 22, um, uh, and then Benjamin in verse 27. And did I leave somebody out there? I don't think so, but maybe... Um, so he, he goes through and gives these prophecies or blessings, that's what verse 28 calls them, uh, to uh, the tribes. But that, that's really helpful information to foretell what's going to happen. Reuben's not going to be the most significant tribe, even though he thinks he is for a while during the time of the judges. Um, uh, you're going to have Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be prominent. Um, uh, Simeon and Levi are going to be dispersed amongst the nation. And Judah is going to take uh, prominence here. So any other thoughts there through chapter 49? I may be able to finish it today. Yeah. And so chapter 50 then, um, uh, Jake, well, the end of 49, Jacob dies. Joseph then uh, reassures his brothers. When, once Jacob died, his brothers sort of revert back to a little bit of that mentality um, now that Jacob is dead, is Joseph going to retaliate? Um, uh, now that Jacob can't control him or hold him back, is, is Joseph now going to uh, do evil to them for what they had done? Repay him, actually, the language in verse 15. <clears throat> Joseph's words are just so good for us to think about and imitate. Um, and, uh, you know, after they, they say, you know, forgive us, and they even say that Jacob said, J Jacob said, Dad said you're supposed to forgive us, you know, um, verse 16 and following. And uh, that just breaks Joseph down in verse 18. Then his brothers, uh, I'm sorry, the end of verse 17. Um, uh, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
And uh, Joseph says, don't be afraid. Verse 19, for am I in the place of God? What a good thing for us to always remember. Verse 20, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Again, a foreshadowing of Christ. The, the Jews, the, the, the tribes were from the, that come from these men, they betray Jesus and seek to kill him. They meant it for evil, but God meant it to good to save many people alive. Again, verse 20, you can just easily read the story of Jesus there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then in verse 21, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you. Again, we can easily see Jesus, Jesus comforting them uh, in <clears throat> verse 21. And then uh, we'd be amiss if we didn't deal with verse 25. Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you. You shall carry up my bones from here. Um, and so Joseph says, um, uh, I, I don't want to die here when I, or I don't want to be buried here when I die. I want you to take my bones with you back to uh, the promised land. Um, uh, we looked at Hebrews 11 earlier and uh, talking about the, uh, the example of Jacob, but you also have this language uh, from Genesis 50 talked about there. Uh, if I can turn my pages in uh, verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel, gave instructions concerning his bones. And so how does that fit into the story of by faith? So, you know, the promise, the land had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob long before this, you know, before Joseph's lifetime. And here he lives in Egypt, putting his trust in a promise that was made before he was even born. And it's not going to be fulfilled until after he dies. And that's, to me, that's kind of, us. Uh, you know, some of us may still be alive when the Lord comes, but for those of us who pass on, we put our trust in some promises, a promise Jesus made long before we were born. We live with a view to that promise that may not be accomplished until after we've died. And so. Yeah, very good. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Joseph is showing them that he truly believes that God is going to fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we see in Exodus 13, when they do leave Egypt, Moses takes Joseph's bones with them for all of the bad things about that generation. One of the good things is uh, they do uh, remember Joseph's bones and they take them out with them um, uh, to, uh, to bring it into the promised land. So that's encouraging. And then I think, is it Joshua 24? I uh, didn't have that marked. Is it Joshua 24 where we see that they actually bury them in the promised yeah, land? Yeah, 2432. Yep. Good, good. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, so that's the story of, of Joseph. Um, anything else before we close off, guys? So uh, uh, any, any comments about what, where we're going to go from here? I think we need to talk about it. Yeah. So if anybody has any requests, one of the things we've tried to do is, is listen to people that are following our studies. If you have any uh, requests for, for topics, uh, let us know. Put it in the comment section. Uh, certainly can't promise that we'll do it, but we, we'd like to hear from you. Hey, I just noticed we had some comments came in during the webcast today that I, I didn't see and we didn't get to them. I apologize for that. Maybe we I didn't. I didn't either. Sorry. Yeah, we have to come back to it later. Very good. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us today. We appreciate it and may the Lord be with you all.